If you're looking for the best horror, thriller, sci-fi and WTF audio fiction this side of the apocalypse, then you should listen to The Other Stories. With over 500 stories on the podcast feed already and news stories dropping every single Monday morning, The Other Stories is your new best friend. Check out The Other Stories today on any and all podcast platforms or head to theotherstories.net. After all, these aren't the stories your mother used to tell you. These are The Other Stories. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Cast your mind back to February 2019. Picture me, Luke Condor, with a K, a man who'd heard of bizarre fiction but hadn't yet experienced it. Not really. This little English fool was about to begin reading the book that would change his reading habits. He was about to read the Bizarro Fiction starter kit, Orange. Little bold Luke had seen Bizarro Fiction titles showing up for a little while, but it was only when he began to read this Bizarro Fiction starter kit that he truly understood what it was. The book opens with several short stories by a chap called D. Harlan Wilson. Yes, D. One and only. And it kind of floored that little bold nonce. Never again was Luke the same. With those stories, he got a bit of Kafka, he got a bit of Edgar Carey, some Simon Rich, and a ton of adult swim cartoons. There was a wild and free creativity to the stories, explosive humour, constantly smashing, juxtaposing ideas together, and making sparks fly. It really was the best introduction to the genre that little Luke could have asked for. So when it came time to picking the stories for the show, in present day, I knew that I had to get me some D. Harlan Wilson. So in today's episode, we have for you a taster platter of various bits of D. Harlan Wilson stories. If you enjoy any of this unique irrealism, then check out dharlanwilson.com or follow him at dharlanwilson on Twitter. The first golden nugget of weirdness on our platter is a short story called Cops and Bodybuilders, narrated by Persephone Rose. Cops and Bodybuilders A bodybuilder in a purple spandex g-string snuck into my home and started to pose. His tan seemed to have been painted onto his skin, and his muscles seemed to twitch and flex of their own volition. His grin was as white as the image of God. I reached underneath the couch cushion I was sitting on, pulled out a crowbar. I'll teach you to invade a man's privacy, I exclaimed, and made like I was going to swing at him. He didn't flinch. He went on posing. 
turning his broad back to me and tightening up his gluteus maximus. Impressed, I couldn't help making a comment. Nice glutes, I said. The bodybuilder thanked me, straightened out one of his arms, and exhibited a sublime tricep muscle. I made a frog face. That's pretty nice, too. But could you leave, please? My wife will be getting home soon. And if she sees us here together, she might get suspicious. Anyway, you're breaking the law. You can't just sneak into somebody's house, start posing, and expect everything to be all right. Please go. The bodybuilder shook his head. I'm sorry, but I can't do that. Once I start posing, there's no stopping me. He placed a foot out in front of him and mockingly jiggled his profound thigh muscles back and forth. I may take five now, and then to shoot up an anabolic cocktail and fix myself a protein shake, but otherwise, you're stuck with me. You're stuck with me for a long, long time. I called the bodybuilder an asshole. Then I called 911. You're going to jail for what you've done. The bodybuilder shrugged. The shrug was as much a pose as it was a gesture of indifference. In light of the severity of the crime I reported on the phone, the police didn't bother knocking on my door when they arrived. They simply crashed through my door like a stampede of psychotic oxen. There were three of them, each equipped with a bushy handlebar mustache, each wearing two articles of clothing, a ten-gallon police hat, and a purple spandex g-string. Their tan seemed to have been painted onto their skin, and their muscles seemed to twitch and flex of their own volition. Their grins were as white as the image of God. "'What seems to be the problem here, sir?' asked the cop in charge, and struck a pose. It was an impressive front-double bicep pose. Following his lead, the rest of the cops also struck it. I said, "'This bodybuilder is an intruder. Take him away.' "'We weren't talking to you.' replied the cop in charge. He and his colleagues synchronously shifted into an equally impressive side chest pose. We were talking to the bodybuilder. Confused, I glanced at the bodybuilder. He nodded at me. This man is inhospitable, he said. Take him away. The cops made belittling, sniggering comments about my less-than-rock-hard body as they frisked me, cuffed me, and led me out to the squad car. And now jumping straight on, your next taster is a volivant of broken logic called At the Funeral, narrated by Justin Fife. At the Funeral. It's been a week already, and the funeral isn't over yet. For seven days and nights, we've been roaming the hallways of Frinkle's Death Emporium, whispering in each other's ears, massaging each other's elbows, politely trampling each other as we ransack the hors d'oeuvres table which is replenished with a fresh round of fruit punch and cold Swedish meatballs at noon and sundown every day. The Emporium's staff consists of two short, round men in bird costumes. When they're not sending out provisions and cleaning up after us, they wobble around on their big yellow feet and make bird noises. Seven days and nights of walking around a funeral home is enough to make anybody tired, and yet nobody seems to be tired but me. I start asking people, why they don't sit down for a while, maybe take a nap, but everybody just smacks their lips and waves me away. Annoyed, I decide to look for a bed and take a nap myself. I find one in a secret room. The bed is king-sized and made out of Queen Anne's lace. On the far side of it, 
My sister Clarissa is sitting there playing with a doll. In the middle of it, the deceased is laying there, dead. The upper half of the deceased man's body is hanging out of a black, halfway unzipped body bag. He isn't wearing any clothes, and his skin is absolutely colorless. His eyes look like they're on the verge of popping out of his head. I sit down next to him and frown at Clarissa. Did you unzip his body bag? She shakes her head. You're telling me you didn't unzip this body bag. Is that what you're telling me? She nods her head. Well, I guess the thing unzipped itself. I guess that's what happened, isn't it? This time, my sister doesn't respond to me. She whispers something into her doll's ear and giggles. I use my feet and try to stuff the deceased back into the body bag, but it doesn't work. And when I'm about to lay my hands on him, my mother walks into the secret room, scolds my sister and I for being there, sits down on the bed, and places the deceased man's head in her lap. She strokes his curly brown hair. A few seconds later, he coughs. Holy moly, I say. My mother closes her eyes. No, no, that's just a reflex. Reflex? He's been dead over a week. My mother begins to massage the deceased man's neck. The deceased coughs again. Then, purring a little, he mumbles, um, That feels good. Before I can say anything, my mother shakes her head. Reflexes. It's all reflexes. I stare at her. My mother says, Listen, I have to go. Aunt Kay's been feeding meatballs to the spiders, and I have to try to convince her to feed them to herself instead. You two can stay here, but not for long, okay? Be good. She removes the deceased's head from her lap, gets off the bed, and leaves. The deceased flexes his jaw. He coughs again, and again, and again. He keeps on coughing until a rotten apple flies out of his mouth. It sails across the room and shatters an antique lamp. Clarissa and I leap off the bed as the deceased starts gesticulating like an angry worm. Get me out of this damn thing, he says. I don't think that's such a good idea, I say. Clarissa adds, we might get in trouble. Then under her breath, is this a reflex too? I purse my lips. The deceased gives us a dirty look. Fine, I'll get myself out and I'll never forgive you two for being so crummy to me. Clarissa and I glance at each other. After a brief struggle, the deceased manages to unzip the body bag the rest of the way. He climbs out of it. He stretches his wiry, naked limbs, rearranges his genitals, and strides out of the secret room without a word. Clarissa and I watch him go. Then we leap back onto the bed and fall asleep on either side of the open body bag. Out in the hallways, the deceased approaches the attendants of the funeral, one at a time. He taps them on the shoulders and asks if they can spare some clothes, and if it's not too much trouble, a meatball and a cup of fruit punch. I'm very cold and undernourished, he says, eyes fixed on his toes. Everyone frowns and pretends they don't understand him, except for my Aunt Kay, who, in response to his plea, spits a mouthful of tobacco juice on him and then shoots up to the ceiling on a thread of spider silk attached to the back of her neck. The deceased breaks down and cries. My grandfather threatens to have him hang. We'll string you up right here and won't even think twice about it, he twangs. The deceased snarls at him. My grandfather signals the Emporium's two birdmen, and they all chase the deceased back to the secret room and 
and tell him not to come out again unless he wants to die. I'm already dead, says the deceased as my grandfather slams the door in his face. Clarissa and I don't wake up. The deceased shuffles over to the bed. He stares at us, thinks about what he should do. Should he kill us? Should he maim us? Or should he leave us alone? Since he dislikes us so much, the most sensible thing to do would be to kill us. But he can't make up his mind. He tries to wake us and ask us what he should do. No luck. We're sleeping like dead things. No matter how hard he pokes our shoulders and screams in our ears, we won't open our eyes. The deceased sighs. Then, having nothing else to do, he crawls onto the bed and back into the body bag and zips himself up as best he can. And finally, to round off our D. Harlan Wilson story platter, I'm going to present to you a salted caramel kick to the face, which I'll happily narrate myself. This story is The Arrest. A man said, You are under arrest. Another man said, No, you are under arrest. No, said the first man. It's the other way around. You are the one who is under arrest. I'm not under arrest, said the second man. You are... I'm going to arrest you now, said the first man, taking the second man by the elbow. No, now I will arrest you, said the second man, taking the first man by the elbow. Let go of my elbow, said the second man. He agreed to let go, but only if the second man let go too. The third man said, I'm putting the two of you under arrest. No, said the first man. No, said the second man. Yes, said the third man. The first man put the third man in a headlock. He jumped up and down and the third man groaned perfunctorily. The second man put the first man in a headlock. He jumped up and down so that the third man experienced the brunt of two men jumping up and down. He groaned louder, with more drama, yet with less resolve. That's enough, said a fourth man. You are all coming with me. You are all under arrest. The second man tried to put the fourth man in a headlock with his free arm, but the fourth man ducked out of the way. The fifth man snuck up behind the fourth man, wrapped his hands around his neck and choked him to death. Eyes wide with surprise, the fourth man slid to the floor like a raw egg. The second man released the headlock on the third man. The first man released the headlock on the second man. The first, second and third man faced the fifth man, and the third man said, "'You killed that man. The three of you are under arrest.' said the fifth man. The sixth man punched out the fifth man. I'm arresting you. He looked askance at the other men. I'm arresting all of you too. The second and third men attacked the seventh man with tomahawks before he could open his mouth and put anybody under arrest. The seventh man shrieked during the murder. Blood exited his wounds in Japanimated spurts as he accused the first and sixth men of allowing him to be murdered by the second and third men. Weird mucus leaked from the fifth man's orifices. With his last breath, the seventh man whispered, I should have arrested you all. Unexpectedly, the first man took off his clothes and began to make love to his wife. She lay on a cot on her back, beckoning him with spread legs and locked knees. What does he think he's doing? asked the third man. The fifth man woke up and the sixth man punched him out again, dirtying his fists with slime. The third man said public sex is an offence and putting those sex offenders under arrest. The first man climbed off his wife and attacked the third man. They wrestled around on the floor. 
The nakedness of the first man made the third man increasingly uncomfortable, and he tried his utmost to beat an arrested opponent without touching him. An impossible feat, technically, and yet within moments he was in fact beating his opponent without touching him, somehow, impressing all of the other men, except for the second man, who turned to the sixth man and told him that he knew how to beat people up without touching them better than the third man did. Soon the first man rallied. He grabbed the third man by the ears and cranked his head and snapped his neck. The third man slumped over like a wet pancake. The first man immediately arrested him. Then he arrested the fourth man, the fifth man and the seventh man. You can't arrest dead men, said the sixth man. You can't arrest an unconscious man, said the second man. I can arrest anybody I want, said the first man. No, I can arrest anybody I want, said the second man. No, you can't, said the sixth man. I can. (laughs) I can arrest anybody. I can arrest the entire world. I'm putting the world under arrest, said the fifth man. I'm putting the world under arrest, said the fifth man, awakening. No, I'm putting the world under arrest, said the sixth man. He blew off the second man's head with a shotgun. I'm going to arrest the galaxy as well. He turned the shotgun on the fifth man and fired. The fifth man's stomach exploded into flaming tendrils of gore. The sixth man said, Forthwith, I will put every last black hole in the universe behind bars. I will teach eternity the very meaning of deference and respect and authority. But first things first. He emptied the shells from the shotgun, reloaded it, and put the barrel in his mouth. The first man looked at his wife. She was asleep. Wake up, he whispered helplessly. You are under arrest. She opened her eyes. She stretched, sighed. She rolled off the bed, slipped into the bathroom and turned on the shower, annulling the voice of her husband. And that's it. We are done. All the stories today were written by D. Harlan Wilson. Cops and Bodybuilders was narrated by Persephone Rose. At the Funeral was narrated by Justin Fife, And The Arrest was narrated by myself. Music and sound effects were provided by Ira Rat. Ra the Sun God, Sound Effects, and Chris the Brisky. If you're still hungry and you're looking for a slightly larger taster of Bizarro Fiction, then go and check out one of the Bizarro Fiction starter kits. Those books will highlight just how far-reaching the genre is and why there really is something for everyone in Bizarro. So head over to Amazon and just search Bizarro Fiction starter kit and grab whichever one takes your fancy. I promise you, you won't regret it. So, see you on the next episode. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm, HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 